This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Jason Burns and Access Church in Lakeland, Florida. For more information, visit access.tv. Well, what a great day, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. One more time, can we celebrate all that God did just a moment ago? Isn't that amazing? Oh, man, so good. I, I got to sit with my parents today in that service, and I just said, our church is so alive right now, and I love it. I mean, we're in summer, and look around, everybody. This is summertime here. I don't know what needs to happen. We need to add a fourth service. We, we need another building, another location. God knows, and what a fun season to be a part of this church. Honored you're here today. It's gonna be a great day. We are in part four of a series today called The Path of Most Resistance. And all of us in our lives want to do anything we can to take the path of least resistance, the easy path, the easy way out. But following Jesus is challenging, and yet on the other side of that adventure is the life he created for us to live. But we started week one, if you missed it, with this simple verse. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, and this is what he invites us to become, you must give up your own way which kind of stinks because I love my own way, but you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. And if you miss week one, I stepped all up on your toes and I said this, I said you can't carry your cross and your opinion at the same time. You can't. And I love that you have opinions and I love that you wanna vote strategically and all those things, but the point of the day was, it doesn't matter what your opinion is, it has to come secondary to the authority of the word of God. Then week two, we said this, one of the hardest ways that people struggle in following Jesus is in the area of giving. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, said this in Proverbs 11. He said, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and I want you to live a large, big kind of life. But he said, conversely, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So we talked about our giving, and we talked about God's blessing, but here's the point from week two. We said we give to worship not give to get. You gotta stop playing games. It's not about you getting, it's about being a generous kind of person that God can flow through. So we talked about giving on week two, then week three we talked about forgiving. Here's what we said about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a one player game. And I know that you've walked through some difficult challenges, but when you forgive, you set someone free and what you discover is the one who becomes free is you and God's desires that you would live a free kind of life. Today, I wanna talk about another difficult subject. In fact, if you have your message notes at the very top, the title of today's message is the sin we're fine with. This is the sin that we're just okay with. It's the sin we celebrate, but to get us going today, this week, I flew up to Chicago on Monday, and I love to travel. I love seeing the country. I love going to cities that are known for having really good food. And so I flew to Chicago, and I knew exactly where I wanted to eat. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, but like, No part of the trip went right. You ever had a trip like this? Like my flight was late, I finally got there, I got to the rental car desk and they took my name and they said, um, good news and bad news. The bad news is we don't have a car for you. I said, what is the good news? They said, we don't actually have any, we just wanted it to sound better. We don't actually have any good news for you, we don't have a car for you. Finally got a car, I'm starving at this point, so I drove to the famous Chicago pizza place, Giordano's. If you've ever been there, it is amazing. But the pizzas take a long time to cook, and so I sit there impatiently. Finally, my pizza comes out, and I I made a rookie mistake, a rookie mistake, I just, I couldn't wait, so I took a huge bite, and it burned the fire out of my mouth. That was on Monday. It is Sunday, and it still hurts, everybody. It was miserable. Powered through it, still ate it, don't worry about me. And um, 
I taught all day at this incredible church in the city of Naperville, a really great day. And then Wednesday, I go to the airport to leave. And when I wait, I wait in line to go through TSA pre-check. I get to the front after this long line and there's a problem with my ticket. So I have to go wait in another long line. I get my ticket fixed, I come back, I wait in another long line. Finally, I get through and I think, okay, good. This, this adventure, this nightmare is over. And I go to scan in at the gate to get on the plane. And usually what happens is people scan their ticket, it goes ding, and it's green, and they walk through. So it's green, green, it gets to me, and I put my ticket down, and it flashes red. It's like, which one of the idiots on our staff put me on the no-fly list? Like, who did that, you know? Anyways, I'm like, come on, like, what is with this trip? What is going on in this moment? And the man says, sir, step over here. And I'm like, you're gonna do a cavity search, aren't you? Like, I don't know what's happening in this moment. And he goes, no, 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 nothing bad. He goes, in fact, you have been upgraded. And I said, talk dirty to me. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> upgraded. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on this special list. You get to fly first class. And look, when I travel by myself, your boy goes cheap. I get the cheapest flight as long as it's not Spirit Airlines because I'm not trying to meet Jesus tomorrow. Uh, I get the cheapest hotel I can get, cheapest rental car. If I'm paying for it, I go real cheap, you know. And so I was going cheap and they upgraded me. And I'm gonna be honest, I can't handle that kind of power. I was up in front seat judging all the peasants who had to walk past me. Mm, back of the plane to you, just get out of here, you know. It was so fun, great experience. Now quick question, uh, you, you ever been upgraded? You ever had a car upgrade? You ever had a hotel upgrade? Who would be dumb enough when you're offered an upgrade to settle for something less? You check into a hotel, you, you bought the cheapest room on hotwire.com, they're like, no, 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 we got the presidential suite for you for free. Yeah, I'll stick with the roach-infested little room. I'm good. Who, who would do that? Nobody would do that, and yet there is this one element to following Jesus that so many of us are offered an upgrade by him, a better kind of life if you'll just reorient your life and we settle for a life so much farther less than what we were created to live. Here's what it is. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, and I love Eugene Peterson's translation in the message. He says this, are you tired? I could just stop right there. Self-audit, are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? How many of us, this is our story? We're just hurting, we're exhausted, we're eking out an existence. Jesus says, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. He says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love Jesus' language. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Okay, be honest for a moment. How many of you would think that these two words would be metaphors for your life? Because I'm gonna be honest, they're not the metaphors of my life. I tend to live busy and exhausted kind of lives, tired and worn out kinds of lives, 120 miles an hour all the time, adrenal fatigue kind of life. How many of us, these words don't fit us? So, so to recap Jesus' words, he says, are you tired? This week, because I was preaching on this, my radar was turned on, and all week I would ask questions like, hey, how are you? How's life? How's your fam? How's things going? Over 30 times this week, someone answered me, I'm, I'm good, I'm just kind of, kind of tired. Are you tired? Are you worn out? And then I love the last one. He says, are you burned out? But it's not just burned out on life. It's are you burned out on religion? 
And if you find yourself in any of these categories today, the thing I love about Jesus is he cares about you and his desire is to upgrade you out of that life. Now I'm gonna be honest with you, I struggle with this. I wish I was good, I wish I had it all nailed. If you're looking for a perfect church with a perfect pastor, I'll recommend some, but it's not here. I've got all kinds of issues and if you don't think you've got issues, that's your issue, you know what I mean? But, but I struggle with this one. Funny side note, uh, Friday morning, my wife and I went to, to breakfast together and she's preaching in a few weeks and so she was telling me what she's gonna preach about and I said, well, I know what I'm talking about this week but I don't, I don't really know what I'm gonna talk about next week. She goes, okay, cool. So this week, um, you're, you're talking about pride. I said, no. I said, she goes, yeah, you said that. And I said, no, I didn't say that. She goes, you said you're talking about the sin you struggle most with. And I said, huh, what? <laughs> She literally thought that. I was like, girl, now I'm struggling with humility and unforgiveness. Like, what do I do with this, right? Right, I, I struggle with it. Because there's this part of me that thinks that I can do everything, please everyone, make everyone happy, and so we exhaust ourselves, nose to the grind, white-knuckled as hard as we can, 120 miles an hour all the time through this life. Some 30 years ago in Japan, Social scientists had to come up with a new word. The, the reason they had to invent a, a new word was there was this phenomena happening. Here, here, here's the word. The word was this word, karoshi. Karoshi. And karoshi was a word that they made up, and the reason they made this word up is they had to come up with a definition for people who were literally dying at work literally having a heart attack or a stroke or some sort of medical episode, and they were literally falling over dead because they lived in a culture that glamorized work and they glamorized workaholism to the point that people were dropping dead. Now, here's the funny thing. In so many different areas of life, we don't celebrate isms. Like if you said, I'm struggling with alcoholism, no one's like, golf clap for you, get them slugger, right? Got a drug addiction, struggling with some, 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 um, some medical addictions like this. Like no one's cheering you on for it. And yet if we say things like, I'm struggling with workaholism, you get promoted and celebrated. It's the sin we're fine with. It's the sin we're okay with. But here's the point, it's still sin. So because God loves you, he has a supernatural plan for how to help you. And God's plan for supernatural rest is this interesting word, it's the word Sabbath. I don't know what you think of when you think of this word. It's not necessarily exclusively a Bible word. Sabbath simply means to cease. It means to stop. But what do you cease and what do you stop? It means you stop working. For a whole day, you literally do not work. Why does this matter? Because what Sabbath does is it allows us to refuel our energy but also what it does to our soul is it reminds us that we're not in control. That even when we're not working, God still is. That even when we're not exhausting ourselves, God is the one still spinning the earth on its axis around the sun. That God is ultimately still in control. Now, this was always God's plan. From the beginning of scripture, God creates the world in six days and on the seventh day, he rests. Does he need to rest? No, but he models for us what he wants for us. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. You're gonna discover in a moment that this whole idea of God is a, it's a gift. So here's what's happening. God invites people to rest. By the book of Exodus chapter 16, God's people have been in slavery for hundreds of years. 
working every single day, working to the bone, exhausting themselves, and God miraculously sets them free. He leads them across the Red Sea on dry ground, and as he's leading them to this promised land, the land the scripture illustratively calls flowing with milk and honey, on the way he provides miraculously for them. He provides fire by night to keep them warm and shade during the day to keep them cool. It says in scripture that he provides this bread on the ground for them called manna. I don't know what manna was. A lot of experts say it was probably this resin-based bread, but I believe God's a good God. I like to believe it was Red Lobster Cheddar Bay biscuits out there for everybody, you know. Come on, the Olive Garden breadstick up in here. And, but he provides this for them. But then, through Moses, God gave specific instructions. He said, here's what I want you to do. The first five days, go out and get what you need for that day. It's, it's your daily bread. Does that ring a bell? The Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Go out and get your bread that you need for today. Anything extra you get is going to spoil. Get what you need for today, but on the sixth day, get double. Get some for today and some for tomorrow because on the next day there will be no bread. And the reason there's no bread is God doesn't want you to work. He doesn't want you to even worry about it. He's going to take care of it. Exodus chapter 16 says this. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, the day you, you cease working, a day of rest, a holy, set-aside, consecrated day of rest to the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. They had no way to like preserve food like we do, but on that Sabbath, God miraculously took care of it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, and here's funny, human nature kicks in. And there are people who think that they know better than God. There are people who feel like they know better. Uh, they have a better understanding of what God's gonna do. So nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but God keeps his word and they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given, Here, here's the word, he's given. Giving means it's a gift. He's given this gift of the Sabbath to you. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out so the people rested on the seventh day. This was always God's intention, that we would rest, and in resting, we remind ourselves that he's our source, and he's our provision, not us. So a lot of people hear a message like this, and they're like, come on. Like, I don't even have enough hours in the day as it is, and now you're asking me to give God one of those days. I like to think a lot of Sabbath in the same way I think of tithing. Tithing makes no sense. The mental math never checks out. Like, how does it make sense to bring God the first 10%? Here's what it means. When we bring God the first 10%, the rest is blessed. In the same way, when you give God one full day of rest, the rest is blessed. Well, what does it mean? I would rather do more with the strength and the blessing of God in six days than to exhaust myself seven days a week over and over and over again. So what is the point of all this? God's intention wasn't to be a cosmic killjoy. He's not out looking to keep you from accomplishing and doing things. His goal in this life is that through Sabbath, you would experience joy and delight. That, that this day would be a day when you're reminded that there's more to this life than what we produce or what we accomplish. So many of us, we get so busy. 
We miss the joy and delight part and we get so busy and we wake up one day and we have a child and we wake up the next day they're in kindergarten and we wake up the next day and they're graduating high school and we miss all of it. Why? Because we've been so consumed. And God's like, I don't want you to miss it. This life is a gift. It's a present, so be here in it. Well, let me show you three things about this idea of Sabbath from Scripture. The first thing is Sabbath is a command. Notice it's not a suggestion. And a lot of us treat the Sabbath like it's a suggestion, like if you have some time, go ahead and take a day off. No, no, God commands it. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, four chapters after what we just read in the book of Exodus chapter 16, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. The first three are about God, how we are to have no other gods before him, no other idols before him, how he's to be number one. The last six are all about our interactions with humanity. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, all of those but number four, before God gets to murder, he gives us this idea of the commandment of remembering the Sabbath, and I want you to know something, notice something. It's the longest of the commandments. It's the one with the most explanation. Why is that? Because God knew that if we didn't have a full explanation and understanding of it, we would do what we always would do. We'd try to find a loophole so we could do what we wanted to do. Exodus chapter 20 says this. So remember the Sabbath day, by keeping it holy, it's set apart, it's for God. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. Okay, let me, let me make this really clear. What work should you do on Sabbath? None, that's what it says. Neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, and my French bulldogs are like, thank you, you know, none of your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your town, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now, this is important for you to understand. This isn't one of the great suggestions of God. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Let me explain something to you. We don't obey the commandments to be saved. We obey them to be blessed. Let me explain it to you like this. With each of the Ten Commandments, there is a blessing and a consequence. There's a blessing when we obey, there's a consequence when we don't. Okay, let me explain it like this. Okay, uh, one of the commandments is thou shalt not commit adultery. You're not cheat on your spouse. Okay, there's a blessing and a consequence. I'll, I'll tease it out like this. The consequence, if you were to cheat on your spouse, is you break trust. You might end or lose the relationship. At the very least, you break a heart unnecessarily. That's a consequence. But on the positive, on the blessing, every day that I honor my wife, every day I come home and I'm faithful exclusively to her, all I do is build upon the foundation of trust and intimacy thrives in an environment of trust. That's the point. Uh, another one of the commandments, thou shalt not murder. Okay, uh, let's get after this one for a moment. You ready to get your toes stepped on? Um, I'm gonna talk to you theologically and not politically about abortion. I believe theologically abortion is murder. Why? because it takes a life. Now there's all kinds of political angles to this, and if you get yourself into the mud of politics, you miss the beauty of this. What, what is the consequence? The consequence of abortion is we abort the potential of a life that is growing inside of a person. We abort it, we, we lose. God loses the potential that is inside of that life. What happens when we honor the life that is inside of a person. The potential has the capacity to grow into the life that God will use to impact and change the world. There's blessings and there's consequences. Do you understand this? When it comes to Sabbath, there's blessings and consequences. The consequence is if you ignore the Sabbath, 
God isn't going to help you. If you ignore the Sabbath, you're on your own. For six days, God blesses your work, and we are to work, Colossians says, as unto the Lord. Give it all you've got for six days. But on the seventh day, when you keep trying to do this on your own, you keep trying to work in your own strength, God's like, you're on your own. That's the consequence. But the blessing of giving yourself the Sabbath is you get to work now from rest, not work to rest. Think of all the language we put around this. I'm working for the weekend. Can't wait till Friday. TGIF, thank God it's Friday. No, 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 no. We don't, what a witness we have. What an opportunity we have to work from rest instead of working to rest. Second thing about Sabbath is Sabbath is a witness. And in a world that is go, 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 24-7, always be available, always be on your phone, always have your email nearby, go, 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 always be available, always work, always work, always work. In that crazy world, I think the church has the opportunity to rise up and say, there is a better way. And yes, I wish I had a seventh day to get more done. Yes, 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 yes. But here's my point. I'm going to work six days and I'm going to trust that God can do more with six days that are blessed than seven days in my own effort. What a witness to the world around us. 11 chapters later, after the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 31, God is speaking, and I want you to see this. He says, observe observe the Sabbath, because it is holy to you. It's, It's a gift to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. That's kind of strong. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Those who can't do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. Go on. For six days, work is to be done. But the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. There it is again, in case you miss it the first time. If you don't, if you don't observe it, you're going to die. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. This is actually a symbol of the people of Israel's covenant with God. And according to the book of Galatians, when you make the decision to follow Jesus, you're grafted into the same family. You want to know what the covenant with God looks like? Take a day off. And then it says this, it will be a sign, a witness. It, It will be a testimony to the world around us, between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Okay, we've got two things to talk about here. The first one is that a God who never rests, sleeps, slumbers, that he somehow needs to be refreshed. But let's talk about the first one, that if you don't observe the Sabbath, you'll be put to death. Doesn't that make God kind of seem like a cosmic killjoy? Like if you work the seventh day, God's in heaven, he wants to zap you for doing that. It's not what the verse means. It doesn't mean that God's going to kill you. It means that if you constantly work and you never take a break, you are going to kill you. You are going to work yourself to death. It's about you. God wants the best for you. The second thing is it says that when we honor and observe the Sabbath, God himself is refreshed. To understand that, you have to understand what the word refreshed means in the ancient language of Hebrew. It literally means to inhale. It means to inhale. Okay, go back with me to Genesis chapter one and two. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He speaks the world into existence with his voice. Where does your voice come from? Your breath. In scripture, breath and spirit are so uniquely intertwined. And God speaks by exhaling his breath to speak, and he creates. On the seventh day, The language that's used is that he rested, he inhaled to refresh 
himself. Let me say this to you. You can only give out what you've first taken in. And so many of us use language around this. Like if I could just catch my breath, if I could just get a breather from all this busy season, then I'll be fine. There's a reason we use that kind of language. It's because it's connected to what God's intention for us was that we, that we receive, that we breathe in, that we inhale. And in doing so, it gives us the capacity to continue to create, to become more and more like him. Third thing, and this is the final thought, Sabbath is a blessing. Sabbath is a gift. That there's this day as we fast forward into the New Testament, Jesus is walking through a grain field with his disciples. And one of the disciples reaches up and takes a head of grain and pops it off so he can have a little snack as he's walking through. And these religious elite look at them and they think, what is wrong? What is wrong with these guys? They're working on the Sabbath. Like in that ancient Jewish world, they were so legalistic that they counted the number of steps they would take on the Sabbath as to not accidentally work. Even to this day, in modern day Israel, you'll go to places on, on the Sabbath that they're observing, and if you want to get on an elevator, none of the buttons work because they don't want you to push the button because in pushing the button, that would be work. So what happens is if you're on the 11th floor, you literally wait and it stops at every single floor because it might exhaust you to push number 11, right? That's how legalistic people can get about it. And so in Jesus' day, this is that modern version of what's happening. And Jesus responds to these Pharisees who are picking on his guys. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Look at the direction of the blessing. It was made for you and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. It's a blessing. It's a gift from God. And it is a gift for you. Let me ask you this. So how do we do this? How, how, do we, how do we create a lifestyle of Sabbath thing in our lives? Let me give you a really simple way. Write this down. The first thing is this. We divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon, abandon annually. Let me kind of explain it to you like this. Divert daily. Every day you need a few minutes of time alone with God. For me, it's early, early in the morning before my kids get up and before I start working God gets the first 10 to 15 minutes of my every day. It's time in his word. It's time in his presence. Sometimes I play worship and sometimes I sing along. Sometimes I just listen and allow the words of those worship songs to wash over me. But it's just time with God. It's time that's separate. It's set apart from all the chaos and all the busyness. And then this withdrawal weekly is Sabbath. You need a day of rest. You need a day when you're not available, a day when your phone is off, a day when you don't check your emails, a day when you realize that you're not the one spinning the world. This last one is you need to abandon annually. Here's what it means. You need a vacation. You need some time off. You need some time away. The root of the word vacation is the same as the root of the word vacate. It's just like to leave. Some people are like, I can't do that, I can't afford it. Listen. Cut Starbucks out, cut some extra, just put five or $10 a week aside and you'll be surprised what you have. You can get away, you can be creative, you can find ways, but you need to create this space for you. Let me say this to you, this is the reason I'm really thankful that our church has layers of accountability in it to protect us. It protects me, it protects us, it, it protects me so that I don't become another statistic, so that I, don't mess up and I don't end on the cover of the newspapers from Tampa all the way to Orlando as another pastor who's messed up morally and fallen. 
So our church just celebrated 15 years, just a few months ago, 15 years. And for 15 years, we've gone as hard as we can. And my overseeing pastors, our board, came to me a few months ago and said, Jason, you've got to take a break. A sabbatical, it's the same root as the word Sabbath. You need to take an intentional break this summer to refresh. Nothing's wrong. Everything's great. Liz and I are in the best season of our marriage. Our kids are thriving. Look around. Our church is so good. And here's what you don't know. What you can't see, what's happening behind the scenes is way better than all that you see on Sundays. It's the best season of my life. Here's what you need to know. We don't rest when things get messed up. We rest to refresh our soul. We get a way to connect with God. So this summer, we're going to do this. We're going to take a break. And it's not just for us. It's a gift for you. I'm in this for the long run. I want to give the rest of my life to serving this church and blessing this church. It's for you. Here's what you need to understand. Sabbath is a gift for you, not another rule to follow. It's a blessing and not a burden. And how incredible would it be if all of us just made this decision in every part of my life, starting on every day, I'm going to get a small time with God every week, a whole day with God every year, some time, four or five days, a week, whatever, where I abandon everything for the purpose of joy and delight so that my soul can find rest in him. Now, if you're part of our church, you know that the way we would normally end a service is me praying over you, giving you an opportunity to follow Jesus. Today, I wanna end a little differently. I wanna end with a blessing over you. There's this song came out about a year ago and it's just become this beautiful anthem. It's right from scripture, but think of it as God speaking over you. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to just sit And as the worship team leads us, I'm gonna ask you to just close your eyes, maybe lift your hands and open your hands and just say, God, may these words wash over me. May your soul begin to feel refreshed. As you listen to these words, would you just inhale a deep breath and remind your soul that you were created for this, created to rest, created to receive, created to breathe in so that so that you can continue to create and breathe out. Let me pray over you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes in this room? So Lord, we love you. Thank you that you are so good to us. You love us so much that you want the best for us. And so today we receive, we celebrate, we thank you for it, God. In Jesus' name, amen.